Hi, I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ian Wright. And I'm Ryan Hun. And collectively, we are the Stadio Podcast and Wrighty's House on the Ring FC feed. And yes, we are. And we come to you three times a week on the Ring FC feed. Bringing love. We're bringing love and football. So if you like zooming out and zooming in on football and all the stuff around it, make sure you follow Ring FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. How's that, Ry? I reckon I'll do. Yeah, man. Welcome to the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me, as always, is the Ringers Jay Kyle. Man, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Doing fine, Kevin. I'm I'm feeling good. It feels like a little bit of an exhale, right? We're back from summer league. We're we're uh, we're finished talking about this draft cycle. Starting to kind of talk about the next one, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. How about you? Uh, I'm feeling excellent. Uh, I had a good time in Vegas, seeing everybody, and happy to be back here in LA. It's a little bit cooler, still hot here, but Happy to be back. Um, excited for the summer ahead and next season. For today's show, it's our NBA draft show finale, our final show of our first season doing this. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So for today's show, Kyle, let's look back at Summer League, look ahead to next season, and then we'll at the end of the show, we'll look way ahead till next season's 2024 NBA draft class. Let's start off looking back. At the NBA Summer League, the Cavaliers won the Summer League title. They went undefeated. They were led by Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley's brother. He had a great Summer League. Sam Merrill, Imani Bates, who, of course, everybody knows. Imani Bates, a highly touted high school recruit, ends up struggling in college for a lot of different reasons off the court. Multiple transfers. Goes 49th to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Averaged 17 points. Shot 40% from three during Summer League. Played pretty competitive. Uh, he was trying, Kyle. I feel like after all the ups and downs, uh, is this the beginning of Bates carving out his spot in the NBA? Yeah, in watching him in Summer League, um, it, it kind of got me thinking about where we started and, and where we ended up with him. Like, you know, back, you know, there, there was an, one of my friends actually for The Athletic wrote a story about him way, way, way back when we thought the double draft was coming and it was looking like the age limit might change in the NBA. And then we had really focused in on Imani as this guy that was like going to be one of the first guys to go straight to the league when once the rule hypothetically changed. It didn't change, obviously. But back then, and we've, we've talked about this, I remember seeing him as like a 15-year-old and thinking at the time, I don't know if you remember, I have a vivid memory of him back then, but I remember thinking, okay, well, this guy's going to be like an elite shot creator. Like, the Lord knows where the rest of the stuff's going to go. He looked like a really competitive guy. We were thinking, I mean, Superstar was where we were at. And it's been interesting to watch it shift over, you know, he goes to he goes to play in Ypsilanti, and he, it's kind of been the same pattern over and over again. Like you and I talked about back in the fall, he goes to Ypsilanti, and he just shoots. It's It seems like what Wimby did over with Mets 92, but, a little wilder, you know, just shooting all the time, taking crazy contested self-created shots. He goes to Memphis, does a lot of the same, doesn't fit in with that team, leaves, goes to Eastern Michigan, uh, goes back home, goes closer to home and does a lot of the same stuff. And it kind of made me think about like, okay, we thought of him as this superstar. Now we've come all the way back to this point of, and when I was writing my like summer league notebook manifesto thing I did, I was just thinking, you know, what what is Imani's role now? What you know, the Cavs obviously 
bolstered themselves in the offseason with the, you know, the Niang and the Max Struess additions. It seems like there's an opening there. Imani, is he as talented as a Karis LeVert? Is there an opening there for him to be like a specialist? Do, are, do specialists even work in the NBA today? I don't. I, I found myself thinking a lot about like what his role would be. I mean, it seems like he's probably like a spot up spacer now, right? Yeah, I mean, he shot forty percent from three, doing it off the dribble, doing it off the catch. I, I think for him, assuming that the three point shot remains consistent and he takes good quality looks, he had seven eight attempts per game. It's I, I think with Amani, he still had a severely negative assist the turnover ratio he's still not passing the ball a lot but that might be too much to ask him to change in those ways if, if he's a specialist in the sense that he's knocking down threes he's able to attack closeouts finish at the rim at at least a competent rate and be aware and competitive on defense that's the big thing with him uh, at least he's trying more so in summer league than he was at lower levels playing next to Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and obviously Garland and Mitchell leading that backcourt. Bates, I could see it working. At the 49th picket, it was well worth the risk, I I think, for Cleveland. And in the final against Houston, they faced Cam Whitmore, another guy who was highly touted. Different story. He goes to Villanova. People expect him to be a top five, top ten pick. He falls to number 20 to the Rockets. He ends up winning Summer League MVP. He averages 19.3 points. For Houston, they lost in the final to Cleveland, who, I, who, as I just said, went undefeated. But Cam Whitmore was impressive. Uh, do you think it's too soon to call Cam Whitmore a major steal at number 20? I think it was a steal regardless. I mean, like, I know uh, I said this uh, on another show, but, like, I, I know for a fact that Houston didn't think that he was going to be there, and they just kind of took him. It's sort of a, a talent acquisition season for them. Just grab a bunch of stuff and see what makes sense. I think it was more it was less of a talent question for him and more just about the medicals from what I can from what I've heard. I don't know if you've heard something similar. So yeah, from a talent standpoint from the outset, yeah, it's a steal and then but he honestly is he's ahead he he translated quicker than I thought he would, you know. Um I like a lot of the stuff that he was doing, you know, getting to the basket, um really aggressive, played with a lot of energy. I figured that he would be somebody that would get a lot of run in the, with their with their G League team in this first year. Um, because I know they like to use their G League team. Yeah, from the outset, you don't want to overreact to Summer League, obviously, but the stuff I saw, I mean, he he didn't look lost out there. He was really applying his athleticism, which is the first thing he's going to be able to leverage in the NBA, I think. I think with Cam Whitmore, we saw everything that we know he's going to be good at, but he still shot only 28.6% from three, 62.5% from the free throw line, still had more turnovers and assists. So I... I I don't want to, you know, when we say he's a steal, he's a steal at 20 in terms of the talent level, but it's still critically important that he improve in some of those areas. Uh, those are the, the the areas that teams looked at and said, well, yeah, there's some medical issues. He's also not the best decision maker. He's also not the best shooter, didn't have the best workout. So there was reason, multiple reasons for him to fall to number 20. I think with Houston, he's just a, a worthy bet. Because if he figures out the jumper and becomes more consistent, it, it may not matter if he's a guy who's just, you know, he's got tunnel vision looking at the basket when he's so explosive. We know he can finish and his defense continues getting better because that Houston supporting cast, we saw Jabari Smith plays a little bit at the start of Summer League. They probably win the final against Cleveland if he's playing because he was absolutely Awesome. You get Shen Goon, who now is 6'10", 6'11", according to himself and others that have seen him, that he had a growth spurt. Houston with Amen Thompson, you wrote about him 
and your piece as well on the ringer.com as he plays one game, not even a full game, but he was absolutely sensational. This this Houston team, uh, they, they, it feels like they're starting to get the pieces and Cam Whitmore being part of that is worth the upside. Yeah, I wonder, you're right about like the the developmental stuff that we came into the, the summer league that we came away from the college season. He did show a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it's just he was sort of just shot out of a cannon and just unleashed uh, to go and do the things that he does do well. But the efficiency stuff, that's what made me say the thing about Summer League. Houston did a lot, I think, to improve and sort of address the things that ne- they needed to work on. In the piece, I talked about how uh, they were basically one of the worst or they were the worst closeout points per, per chance team in the NBA. They were the worst team in terms of like creating uncontested threes. They were the worst team in assists. They just, I don't know if they, they- stunk. They were terrible. Yeah, they were bad. They were bad. Like they didn't they didn't have to go out of their way. I said they didn't have to, you know, actively self-sabotage just because the team, the way it was put together, just naturally they turned the ball over a lot. That's the big thing. You know, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., those guys off the bounce. Jabari, I think, really paid the price as as a result of that because it was sort of a repeat of can Jabari just get on a team that can make his life easier? You know, we want him to develop on ball and to do all those things, which he did really well, which we can talk more about, but like It's just going to be nice, I think, for him specifically. It's going to be nice to have a little bit more maturity with, you know, Fred Van Vliet, the ball moves through him pretty well. Amin, the ball moves through him pretty well. I think that he, Jabari specifically, will reap, you know, the benefits of that. And we could see a big leap forward, especially when, you know, I I had this in my piece too. If you go back and you kind of look at the guys of similar body types like him, if you go and look at some of their shooting numbers at similar ages, he's really not that far off. So as I, you know, as like kind of alarming and as much, you remember we were in uh, Salt Lake City and you took Jabari in that draft? And I was like, I don't know, man. I was worried. <laughs> yeah. And we, we've come back a little bit. You know, it's like, uh, I still think I won that draft, Kev. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I mean, we're coming back. I, I think that it, he is going to be, um, for, for the things we were worried about, I think, I think we could see a big step forward from Jabari this year. So on Beyond the Arc, last week I asked Waz, uh, who's the team that is geared to take a Kings-like leap this coming season? And, and we talked about Indiana. Waz was raving about their offseason, the way they're building around Halliburton, the leap that he could take personally as a player. Tyler Parker on this week, obviously with him, it's Oklahoma City. With you, the way you're talking about Houston with Jabari getting better, adding Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, say what you want about him offensively. He's a really good defender. Jalen Green maybe gets better in this new ecosystem. Shengun maybe gets better. It, could Houston be that team that goes from, you know, bottom of the barrel to, hey, we're competing for the play in the season? Uh, yeah, like I kind of agree with Waz on the Indiana thing. With Houston, it's like, Okay, you look, the Kings leapt up to 48 wins this past year. Is Houston going to get there? Are they going to have like a 26-win jump? I don't know if it's going to be that severe, but they are going to be better. Like, I mean, they're going to be significantly better. The West is just super, super crowded. I mean, that's the big thing. If you look like one through maybe 11 or even 12, we have teams that could potentially make the playoffs. Someone's going to be the odd person out. It's like a roster that has too many bodies. Like, you could have a lot of legitimate pieces and somebody is just the odd person out. I feel like the West is going to be like that. I'd say Houston is going to be there. I mean, it, it's probably more likely that that OKC makes that jump and kind of and kind of leaps up. They'll have Chet back. You could also see Orlando making a big step forward. Um, 
based on the pieces that they added. But yeah, Houston or OKC are probably the two, but I think OKC is going to be probably the more valid, legit playoff, you know, contending type team, I think, next year. The rookie that impressed me the most was Keontae George from the Utah Jazz. Played three games, 21.7 points, 44% from three, had six assists to two turnovers. He lost some weight uh, since his freshman season ended at Baylor. He looked more, you know, springy off the bounce. He was hitting these, like, wild step back, sidestep, you know, jumpers. And in your article on The Ringer, you described it as kind of like the Kobe final game where he's just jacking up shots and they're falling. Uh, Keontae was absolutely sensational for the Jazz. And if I'm a Utah fan watching them right now, you don't get to see Taylor Hendricks, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh, but Keontae George, their, you know, second pick in the first round, uh, he's going to inspire a lot of future future hope alongside that core that they have. Yeah, I'm, I compared him like in, in the past, the dribble pull-up stuff, like the way he liked to play, I said kind of reminded me of Anthony Simons, considering the size and his shot diet and preference and thing like that. They're a little athletically different. But honestly, some of those shots he was making were, uh, you know, obviously I referenced Kobe, but they, they were kind of d- Dame-esque. Some of <laughs> yeah. them were like it, the way he was sort of positioning himself and getting to it. He had that one, I, I put it in the article, but it's like a rip through three where he didn't even dribble the ball and he just netted it. I think he's going to... He He's not super, super fast, so I think he's probably going to have to follow. You know, Dame is big and physical and and faster. I, I think he's probably going to have to follow maybe, um, you know, not, I'm not comparing these two guys directly, but he's probably going to have to follow a developmental path that's similar to like what Devin Booker did, whereas Devin Booker is just like a technique master. Like he's so, so, so solid in his footwork and how he creates space despite not being an elite athlete. And I think Keontae showed some of that. I, the thing that I was like most impressed by uh was just how patient he was like he he wasn't wild you know i talked about imani imani took four transition threes in like the first two minutes of his first summer league game he made one of them <laughs> that, that, was getting... that's imani for you kyle <laughs> that's what makes him so yeah, fun man. to watch I, I love watching imani if he was on my team i'd love him sometimes and then i'd hate him other times he's just that type of player yeah, I was, I was like, I was imagining someone showing up to summer league and being like, "I want to go see this Imani guy play in this first game," and having that expectation. And he just absolutely <laughs> lived up to his He's reputation. He was, they were firing him, man. I mean, Sharif Cooper was giving him the ball. Some was Sam Merrill, uh, but um, <laughs> it was just funny. It, that had me laughing. But the the, the Keontae thing, I think, is interesting. Um, you know, because he he wasn't. The Josh Selby legendary 40-point summer league game, it was hilarious because he was just going wild, you know, taking crazy shots. Keontae did get to the point where he was heat-checking a little bit, but he really just kind of pieced it together over the course of the game. And I never got the feeling that he was, like, being selfish and hunting his at the expense of what uh, the Jazz were doing. Um, you know, their team shot the shit out of the ball. They were, they were, uh, they were a great shooting team in summer league. So Cam Wentmore wins MVP. I mentioned Keontae George is the rookie who impressed me the most. Is there anybody that comes to mind for you for a rookie that impressed you the most? I'm in with like the 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 way he flowed with the ball. I, I mentioned him and made a point to talk about how I thought Jed Howard looked pretty solid. He wasn't like outstanding, like superstar level. Um, Asar played really well, obviously. 
I mean, I was really impressed with the Lakers, like some with their rookies. I thought Hood Shafino and I even brought up. Did you did you guys get to Colin Castleton when you were talking about the Lakers young guys? Did you have any kind of a feeling on the on the Hood Shafino, Colin Castleton kind of tandem there for the Lakers? Um, who's who's you guys? Like what, what do you mean? Like well, you I saw you and Chris talked. I saw the oh. thumbnail. I just didn't I didn't know yeah, if you got I, to yeah, it if that was uh, on your old radar. I was, I was, just, I was wondering what show. <laughs> <laughs> I was sure Kevin's who the conversation in, delirious. was. Delirious. Now with Verno, we didn't really talk about Castleton, but um, I mean, Huchifino had some ups and downs. Max Christie was awesome. We talked a lot about Max Christie and the leap he seems to be taking. You know, he's shooting the heck out of the ball and making good decisions on the floor, playing solid defense. He looks like a two-way guy for the Lakers. And with Castleton, I mean, like, he's playmaking out there. He looks really good. Uh, as an undrafted guy, I mean, what more could you ask for out of summer league than what they got out of Colin Castleton? Yeah, he strikes me as somebody that, like, even if he doesn't stick with L.A., which it's going to be tough, I think, for him to do that. But I think the past... How come? Well, just real quick, why, why, why do you think that? Like, roster crunch? Because I feel like he d- definitely deserves a, a spot for that team. They need, a, they need well, maybe, like, some backup centers. I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, I'm just kind of looking at the way they're going to play, and I'm wondering when he's going to get a chance. But I, I just think he's too skilled to not stick somewhere, you know, whether that's with the Lakers or otherwise, mainly just because of the passing, man. He he was a good passer all the way through college. I think I think he kind of disabused himself of like, okay, I have to be like a spacer. I'm going to be like a, a spacing big. He just didn't hit shots in college. Like, I, I, it was some absurdly low number. I think he went like... I mean, I don't know what off the top of my head, but it's low. I mean, he's shot a lot of threes and he didn't make them. And, and uh, but he is <laughs> he is a solid passer, and I think he's going to be a really savvy screener too. I think he was a good value grab. And the other the other one here is Scoot Henderson. I mean, he he came out and like put together the most compact, uh, impressive display in terms of just doing everything. Like I he he went out there and just looked more comfortable, I think, than any rookie. Uh, in a short amount of time, just because I think the summer league pace and style of play, he was just really ready for it, I think. Scoot Henderson, you know, he looked absolutely awesome in his, you know, single game, especially the first half of that game. Started missing some jumpers in the second half, but, I mean, the playmaking, the feel, the comfortability that you're talking about, it was great with him. City Sissoko, uh, another G-leaguer, second-round pick to the Spurs, he looked awesome on defense. Nobody could get by him at all. Offensively, his final game, he started splashing shots. He was starting to score. But playmaking throughout was super impressive. So, you know, two of the real standouts in this summer league were, were G-leaguers. And let's look ahead to the 2024 draft now, where the top two picks couldn't end up being G-leaguers for the first time. Ron Holland, a six foot eight wing out of Texas, super athletic, two-way potential. He's the type of guy who always plays hard, and one of the bonuses with him next season is that he's going to be the young, one of the youngest players in the class. He's not going to turn 19 until after draft day. His birthday is July 7th, so he just turned 18 now. He reminds me a little bit of like Jalen Brown, Harrison Barnes, that type of thing. And then Matas Buzelis, six foot ten point forward type of player. He's from Illinois. He's kind of a, a connective playmaker, more so than a, a lead guy. He can be plugged into a whole bunch of different roles with his size and shooting ability. He's like kind of a Lamar Odom type. Between Holland and Buzelis Kyle, who do you prefer uh, as the better NBA prospect looking ahead to next season? 
They do just such different things. You know, I guess it comes into it depending on who has that pick, what they're going to be looking for. Like Holland, it's funny, like whenever I'd watch him in just game flow, I'd be like, he does a lot of just he does a lot of Scotty Barnes ish things. Like he's very like you mentioned that he's very big. He's very active. He has a lot of interest in the little things, you know, you know, we always talk about the pro inside interviews that we really enjoy is like context for guys, like how they think, you know, how engaged in basketball are they? And I went and watched his interview and they were like, who do you, who do you model yourself after? And without hesitating, he was like Scotty Barnes. I was like, Hmm. okay, well that makes sense then. Um, But yeah, I mean, out of Duncanville, Texas, which is a place that just produces a ton of basketball talent. I mean, he's just, he said another thing that I thought was really interesting is that he he treats every play like it's the last play of the game. And when you watch Holland, uh, it, that's very, very clear. He, he's not just talking when he says that. that that's 100% true. He does. Yeah, he goes all out. He sells out. Like, I, I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. I mean, there's a world, I think, where Holland could be like an all-defense level talent. You know, I don't want to get too ha- ahead of myself, but if we're talking about him at the number one pick, I don't think that's getting too ahead of myself. I guess the question is the shooting and stuff, man. I mean, how how confident are you offensively about him? I mean, I think at rim, you know, there's no doubt about what he can be. He's athletic. He's explosive. He's decisive. I, I think, like, the player you're describing, there's a the high effort player who can finish and who's smart and understand who he is. There's a there's a high floor in the sense that he could default to being like a, a really good slasher, uh, a great versatile defender, a tone setter on defense. It, it's gonna be about the development of his jumper. You see the flashes. Um, I don't think his form is is bad by any means. It's just about finding some level of consistency over the time with him. I, I think with Holland, I, I have him. You know, one spot behind Buzelis right now on my board. With Buzelis, I I think with him, he doesn't necessarily have that elite athleticism or NBA body that Holland does. But there's a, a easier path to seeing him filling so many different schemes on offense. You can use him as a guy. I compared him to Lamar Odom. He can bring the ball up the floor at six foot ten and initiate your offense. But his high school season, he made 43% of his threes. It was his best year that he's had shooting the ball. So after a lot of inconsistencies at other levels, if he's closer to 40% than 30%, you're talking about somebody who's a reliable shooter off the catch, off of movement, who can pull up a little bit, who's a super high IQ player without the ball. He's one of the best cutters in this class. And defensively, it's kind of the opposite of Hall, and you have no questions about what he can be on defense. With Buzelis, it's, okay, he's a good team defender, he's smart, he can help with the rim, but like this dude is lanky, he is skinny, he really needs to get stronger, but how much stronger can he actually get? Um, there's questions about him on that end, but offensively, I think he can plug and play in any type of situation and find a way to flourish. Yeah, you talked about like physically his profile. You look at him. I mean, he's very skinny, very narrow shoulders, very skinny mm-hmm. hips. But, you know, the feel and the stuff really pop off the page. He he looks like he's playing the game at a different speed at, at times. I mean, he has sort of a high center of gravity. But important to note, too, that, you know, both of his parents, he grew up in America, but both of his parents were Lithuanian professional players. So you can see where he just has some of that natural basketball IQ. So he's like a, a second out. I don't know if anybody else in their, in their family played basketball but uh yeah i mean the hit mobility is the thing on defense whereas like holland is sort of the the opposite of him in that way that like i it makes you wonder if he's going to be if he's going to get picked on defensively he has good hands he has good touch 
He's a little bit like more fluid, but um, he seems like somebody that's going to be a spacer that evolves into a facilitator with time uh, because the shot looks great. He has like really clean lines. His elbow looks great. His shot. Um, he's just a really high skill, really, really high feel player. I like him a lot. I mean, the, the cool thing with this G League season is uh, this could end up being their best overall roster. That They have four guys that could end up going in the lottery. We talk about Buzelis and Holland as potentially the number one pick, but they have Almanza, a forward out of Spain, played with the OTE last year, now going to the Ignite. They have Darlin, a wing who was originally from the NBA Academy in Africa. He's a really good shooter at his age. So, you know, it's not just Buzelis, it's not just Holland. They have four guys from the G League they're going to end up going in the lottery we'll see how that plays out guys stocks can always rise and fall and and that's why I think it's interesting this year with number one because you talk to some people in, around the league or other people who do draft evaluation like we do and there's a lot of split opinions on who actually is the best prospect and when I kind of am in the process of going through next year's class the one player that I keep going to and I'm like hmm Nobody's really talking about him as the number one, but I think he's got a shot of doing it. That's Jacoby Walter from Baylor, 6'5". He's a long 6'10 wingspan, 19 years old, also from Texas. I, I just think this dude, he's an assertive scorer. He's got a silky smooth shooting stroke. His playmaking is underrated uh, in terms of people view him as a scorer, but like you watch his pick and roll and isolations, the way he handles traps, the way he handles pressure. Uh, the way he keeps his dribble alive, I think there's a primary or even number two playmaking upside with him. And like everything that we like about Ron Holland with that tenacious competitive spirit, Jacoby Walter has that as well. Like I think he's kind of a, it reminds me of a Chris Middleton, Joe Johnson type of guy. I love Jacoby Walter, man. And, and for him going to Baylor next year after seeing Keontae George, he's going to be able to slide into that George-esque role. And potentially have a, a massive year there and establishes himself as a certified, guaranteed top five guy, but maybe even number one. Yeah, Baylor's been really good about you, how they use their guys, putting them in good situations, putting them in like pro simulative, if that's even a word, uh, situations <laughs> that simulate the pro game. But I think you're in your right mind to sort of poke holes at this about, about this like consensus number one thing, because I had a question for you about like Ron Holland. Like when we watch guys like, there are two other guys that come to mind for me that were very similar archetypes to Ron Holland that people were like, oh, yeah, this guy is so amazing. And like in that like 16 to 18 range, these guys can kind of come to the front of the pack and then recede a little bit. The first one is Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He's a better shooter than Kidd Gilchrist. But then the other one is Josh Jackson, who like I think in the 2016 high school class was number one. If not a lot, I mean, some, I think he might have been a lot. And that it makes me think about those two guys, the way they dominated their peers at that age. And they both had similar flexible, lean, but strong, played all out. But they also had questions about their efficiency scoring the ball. Do you think Holland is better than Josh Jackson? Is, is that like a really serious cautionary tale or should we like not even worry about that? Because I feel like it's something worth talking about out loud, like comparing him to those two types of players. I don't think it's worth talking about. Josh Jackson was a dope. Ron Holland has a great head on his shoulders. Simple as that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I didn't expect so. you. So you really think it's like a like a hoops feel like you thing? More, uh, it's, more so. it's not. I know. It's a off court. It's a focus on basketball thing. It's a human being thing. And Josh Jackson uh, earlier in his career didn't have that. And also feel thing. I think Ron Holland does have better feel. Um, but yeah. I mean, may, maybe it limits his upside. 
uh, in terms of him, him being a superstar level player, which is why I kind of am looking around at other guys. And that's why I'm looking at Jacoby Walter and, and why I'm looking at all these other names in the draft saying, okay, you know, could it be a Stefan Castle? Who could actually be the best prospect? Uh, and you have a that's guy. That's what I wanted to bring up to you. Yeah. Well, you have a guy on your Kentucky Wildcats. I have him as a, you know, top five ish player on my board so far, Justin Edwards. Uh, do you think he has a chance of being the number one prospect next year? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, he was, I think he reached the top of his class at one point if he didn't stay there. Um, big lefty, really, really rangy, lean, strong, like we were talking about. Uh, athletic, turns the corner, can get low, has lower body flexibility. He is going to be able to guard, I'd say, up to three positions. I mean, he might even be able to slide out and guard some fours on occasion if you want to play big. I know Cal has talked about playing big and, or playing small and having him at the four at Kentucky. Um, he's a prototypical guy that is, you know, is going to be versatile. Um, I, I think he's going to be able to shoot the ball too. So you just kind of have this pack of guys with the Castles, with the Jacoby Walter, with the with the Justin Edwards. If they have a big year, it is interesting because there isn't that sort of big whale in this class where we're just like, well, obviously you got to go get this person. <laughs> but th- there are also people that just think this class flat out stinks. You know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we talked about in 2013, I remember specifically people talking about how that class was rough and it turns out, oh, there's an MVP in that class. You never know going in. But yeah, it is sort of a jumble. We, we really don't have a clear front runner at this point. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see who kind of pulls to the front of that as, as the season goes on. With Kentucky, we saw them play uh, a lot of their guys this past week in the global games. Kentucky won gold. So TJ Wagner, six foot three guard, son of uh, former NBA player Dewan Wagner. He's going to be the first ever third generational NBA player because his grandfather was also in the NBA. Um, you also have Aaron Bradshaw, who didn't play an injured center, but potential lottery pick for Kentucky. Uh, what do you think about Wagner? It feels like this Kentucky team, kind of looking ahead to the next season, could have a, a lot of potential lottery guys again. Yeah, they could. I mean, it, it's going to be, it's a skinny, fast team. You know, Wagner has an interesting thing, like, the with the way he plays. Like, he has this really herky-jerky team, but whenever I watch him handle the ball, he doesn't get, like, super low with it. Have you ever noticed, like, with his torso, he he seems like he's bending at his back a lot whenever he's dribbling the ball. But he's, he's somebody that he's, you know, he is a lot like his dad. He is, like, a, a kind of a, bu- a bucket getter who has sort of inconsistent shooting, who is going to try to grow into his playmaking, which we've seen a lot of these guys come into the league in the past few years but Wagner I mean he should be the kind of the go-to like we need a basket kind of guy for this team um it'll be interesting to see if Bradshaw even plays at all for Kentucky because you start thinking about the broken foot we'll see specifically I don't know if it's been reported like what the specific I've heard things um I'll be interested to see if he plays even at all. Uh, Bradshaw's a guy that I've been a little lower on than other people just because I'm not, I don't totally believe in the rim protection. I don't totally believe in like the spot. He wants to play as a spot up player. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if he's going to be one of these, like we saw it last year with like Baba Miller, who was like huge, but he also just didn't quite have the like closeout skill set. Bradshaw envisions himself as a four who shoots the ball. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'll, I'll be interested to see if he gets on the court at all for Kentucky because I'm I'm really skeptical right now. I still believe in our guy Bubba Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if you'd bring it up. Yeah, Bubba Bubba Miller. Bubba uh, Miller. <laughs> yeah, another guy to watch on this Kentucky team, and I'm not trying to go too uh, too specific here, but Aduthiero is a guy that I think could <laughs> is going to rise over the course of the season because 
He's a super athlete. He was a former college, high school point guard who grew very, very aggressive and switchable. Um, he's he's somebody that's just sort of uh, keep an eye on that one as the season goes along. Other teams with potential top 15, top 20 picks. Uh, I'm not sure where to draw the line here with Bronny James at USC. Uh, depending on who you talk to, a lot of people don't think he will go first round. It depends on what could happen with LeBron James as well. But it's undeniable that the more talented prospect at least entering college is his teammate Isaiah Collier, uh, who's a six foot four guard, limited jumper, downhill guy, playmaker, very good feel um, with him in the pick and roll. I like Collier. I don't love Collier. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? And do you see him as kind of one of those guys who could kind of potentially push for that number one spot? Number one, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I'm pretty skeptical on that. I'm with you. I mean, like the the shooting. If if you're going to be insistent on sort of being an initiator, I talked a lot about this with Scoot. You're going to have to have. You're going to have to be high level in a lot of other areas, uh, and and I'm just not totally convinced about that with him. And looking ahead to next season as well, there are a lot of returning players to college basketball. Donovan Klingen going to UConn. I'm very excited to watch him with Stefan Castle going there. I hope they get a lot of pick and roll reps together. Klingen, I had him as a top 20 guy in last year's draft. I think this year he could end up being a top 10 pick. Um, you got Kalel Ware transferring from Oregon to Indiana. Maybe fill that Trace Jackson Davis role, and that could help propel him to a level that people pr- previously expected as a lottery player. Uh, you got Kyle Filipowski going back to Duke. Kind of a big, you know, ball handling forward. Uh, of those three guys, Kyle, or, or is there anybody else that you have in mind that is worth mentioning that return to college basketball that you could see improving their stock? Uh, I mean, and you mentioned those two guys. Obviously, they come to mind. Tyrese Proctor, another guy for Duke that That's a good I one. like, who's like a like a high field guy. I really like him. I love guys his size who play who get off the ball well. Um, Bobby Clint Clintman, who went back to Wake Forest, I believe. Did he go back to? No, Wake he Forest? did not go back to Wake Forest. He's going overseas. He's a guy who you know decided not to enter the draft, but he could he could improve his stock uh, in the next year. But the, yeah, those are two more. I am excited. I mean. Stefan Castle's a guy I'm keeping an eye on because he played, you know, his high school team played Duncanville this past year and he scored like 40 something points on like 22 shots or something like that. He's, you know, a big physical guy. And I think you hit on something that I think is going to be one of the more fun things to watch if you're into the draft, which is that Klingon Castle, you know, how fun for UConn fans. You get this, new, you win a title and you have this like new thing to watch and the, and the style that that they play. The things that Castle needs to develop, I think Klingon is going to be an awesome partner for him. Like if if you just watch like the pick and roll reads, the lob throwing, Klingon obviously is a great vertical spacer. He can pop a little bit too. Um, uh, that pairing, I think, is going to be very, very fun for for draft nerds. And you mentioned that game where Castle goes off. He, he has those moments where his jumpers just it, it won't stop falling. And but. Overall, he has not been a good shooter. He's a closer to 30% from three, a 70% guy from the free throw line. He's got soft touch. Um, you know, maybe it's a mechanical issue. Maybe it's a, a strength issue in the lower body. It's, it's hard to pinpoint with him. But if, if the shot becomes more consistent for him at UConn, paired with Klingon in the pick and roll, that could be absolutely devastating at the college basketball level. And for both of those guys, it could serve as a an example of how they could perform in the NBA. It could help out Klingon, a guy who's over seven feet tall, who's massive, who's a great rim protector. He has good hands finishing at the rim. He's a rebounder. Like I love Klingon so much. And if Castle's doing that in addition to his good field playmaking, the defense, 
he's one of those guys we're talking about who's number one. I think Castle is a six foot seven playmaking big guard. I mean, he could talk himself into that as well. It's going to be an interesting year, Kyle. It really is. Cause like, I'm, I'm happy to have a year like this where there's no clear, no duh, Victor Wembenyama, Zion. Like, there's no guy like that where it's a clear number one. And it may not be clear until next June. It might not be clear in, again until somebody has the number one pick and depending on their team needs. So, I'm excited to have a year like that. I like these years where it's not obvious who's number one. Yeah, I think we got a little time. We didn't get tired of Wimby. He was amazing. But it did sort of <laughs> deflate some of the conversation. I mean, it just became a like, we kind of knew the six to six to eight guys who would fill out those spots in the top 10. This year, it's like, it's just so up in the air. Like, another thing about Castle, too, is just the way the the way he's physically able to get to the nail. Like, he's able to get to the foul line area, uh, which I think is going to really, really be if you look at like his skill set versus a DJ, like they they do similar things offensively and they have similar challenges. But Castle is just very comfortable getting into the middle of the floor and staying low with his dribble, carving out space. Um, he is somebody that I could see moving into that like top top five range. You know, I've seen people have him around ten right now, but so much is to be seen. Like you know, we're we're really mm. really forecasting on what we haven't seen so far, and just you know, FIBA and high school and EYBL and things like that. I'm anxious to see him in the Big East and in the college setting. One other guy I really like, I just want to throw his name out there, Elliot Cadeau. Uh, he was teammates with Jacoby Walter, the six foot one guard, uh, like small guard, but he's athletic. Reminds me a little bit of a, like Isaiah Thomas, that type of player, because just the way he explodes at the rim, um, shot maker, tough shot maker. Gritty playmaker. I, I like Cadeau a lot. I, I think he's somebody that at North Carolina, Tate Frazier's school from Through the Ringer and One Shining Podcast, uh, Elliot Cadeau is a guy that I think could carve out a spot in that top five, um, which might be a bit much as a six foot one guard in a, in a draft full of big wings. Um, but I, I like Cadeau a lot and he stands out in that regard. Kyle, this has been a fun, you know, past what, eight, nine months doing the draft show with you? It's been a hell of a lot of fun, man. I'm looking forward to next season. I feel like this coming season is going to be even better. Talking draft. The draft class might not be as great, um, but the class is going to be a lot of fun to talk about with the lack of clarity right now. Yeah. I know, well, I would say just throwing another one in there too, Cody Williams, the younger yeah. brother of Jalen Williams, is going to be another guy to watch in Colorado. He's he's an interesting one. Um, but yeah, it's I, I, it will be fun to sort through this and and sort of uh, straighten it out and and you know get a feel for for what the order should be. There's a lot of interesting international guys too in this class, so um, yeah, I'm excited. It's been a it's been a fun year. I can't believe we're already to the end of it, but uh, yeah. Well, be sure to subscribe to us on the Ringers NBA Draft Show. That way, you get notified when we're back. Also, I'll be on the mismatch every single week this summer. Be sure to check that out. Still talking NBA and whatever else comes up with Chris Vernon. And Jay Kyle Mann will be on One Shining Podcast with Tate Frazier every week this offseason. So you get a lot of podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening to the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy your summer. Peace.